You're already ready to go. Okay. Well, it's been like 10 minutes sitting here, so. <laughs> oh. I was in here and there was nobody in here when I. I don't know, I've just been sitting when here. When I sat down. All right, well, here we are now. <laughs> Whatever happened before is irrelevant. I got to fix my hair to see how it looked like. Uh... It's the, the arm movements. Here. There's a fan down here, and there's a fan over here, and they're kind of... Could you tilt your camera down? Just down? a smidge. Not too much, but just a smidge. There we go. That way when you speak, the, the the bottom third, the lower third isn't in your... You don't have to move anything else. Please stop. Uh, like you're going to go completely jump. off frame. You're, you're fine. But now. Yes. Yeah. It's just that when I... The lower third goes over your face when I... If you're that high. Ready to go? Yeah. It's all about a crazy planet. Are you ready to go? Yeah. I'm ready. Okay. Today on Before Coffee, Rishi Sunak hoping for a demonstrable progress on Ukraine joining NATO. Relentless rain causes floods in the Northeast and prompts rescues in Vermont's capital. EU to drop ban of hazardous chemicals after industry pressure. 24 million miles ahead of Tesla, autonomous semi-trucks log accident-free milestone in China. Finnish far-right finance minister accused of racist online comments. And there is an actual sound of silence. Not just a song by Simon and Garfunkel. Today, on July 11th, 2023 edition of Before Coffee. Okay, let's get on our news. We talked about NATO yesterday, yesterday about how Biden was like, Ukraine can't join NATO until after the war. And then Rishi Sunak is like, no, we want them to join now. So that, I know, I know America is not affected by it because they're over there across the ocean, but us Europeans, we could get invaded at any moment if we don't enforce our borders. Rishi Sunak said he hoped there would be Demonstrable progress. Oh, wait, sorry. This is from Dan Sabaj in Vilnius on The Guardian. Rishi Sunak said he hoped there'd be demonstrable progress towards Ukraine's eventual membership of NATO at the two day leader summit, but did not give any time scale or set any conditions that the country may have to meet before becoming a member. The Prime Minister said Ukraine's rightful place is in NATO as he flew out to the summit in the Lithuanian capital of Vilnius on Tuesday. But he said further discussions about how Kyiv could achieve membership would take place among leaders at the annual summit. NATO would stand by the language of Bucharest in 20, 2008, Sunak added, referring to the summit where Ukraine's eventual membership was agreed in principle but not, no timetable or roadmap, roadmap was set out to the long-running frustration of the country's leaders. Isn't that when Crimea happened? Or was that 2016? No, that was 2014 when Crimea happened. I think what's important at the summit is that the commitment is reaffirmed and there is a demonstrable progress towards the goal, the Prime Minister said. But he said Ukraine's membership was not a question for right now, whilst they are in the midst of conflict. At the heart of NATO lies a commitment for each member state to defend the, uh, the others if they are attacked, meaning that if Ukraine were to join while the war was continuing, 
it could immediately draw member states into a fight against Russia. Ukraine is hoping for a clear pathway to membership once fighting stops. But so far, U.S. and Germany, Germany, the U.S. and Germany have proved resistant to agreeing to any firm timescales or clear conditions. Why does the U.S. even care? I don't understand. Leaving Kiev at some of its keener backers in the NATO frustrated. Sunak's comments do not suggest American resistance has been overcome. The Prime Minister is heading out to Vilnius at, with the Foreign Secretary, James Cleverly, and the Defense Secretary, Ben Wallace, as well as attending plenary plenary sessions on Tuesday. He's expected to hold bilateral meetings with Turkish President Recep Tayyip Erdogan and the outgoing Dutch Prime Minister Mark Rutte. Sunak said a group of leaders, including those from the US, France, and Germany, would continue to have discussions about providing long-term security assurance to Ukraine in the form of continuing military aid and economic support. But he conceded that the package was not yet ready to be announced amid reports of delays that may prevent that from happening this week. I'm very keen to try and get this over the line, Sunak said. A long-term package of security assurances, which will be offered bilaterally by the countries involved, was critical. Prime Minister said because it will send a strong deterrent message to Russians, and he said Vladimir Putin had to understand there's no point in just waiting out the West. So... Yeah, I mean they're they're struggling and Putin doesn't care. Yeah. So it's kind of weird that Russia is so against I'm not Russia, sorry. The US is so against Ukraine joining like at any moment. Oh yeah, they can join someday in the next hundred years if they still exist by then, you know? <laughs> yeah. But we yeah, talked about it's it. It's complicated being a world power. <laughs> yeah. You're still yeah, and NATO, uh, one country has veto power. I know that, right? One country can hold the whole thing up, just like Turkey was holding up Sweden, so. Right? And apparently not holding up Sweden anymore. So, Sweden's apparently in, so I would imagine pretty soon Ukraine would get in. I'm free to go. <laughs> <laughs> Wee! I can go! I'm free! You fixed your camera, you were laying on your side. At least from my perspective, you were like laying on your side, falling into the windmills, into that water back there. It looked kind of funny to me. It was like, where's she going? She's sinking! Okay, my story. Yeah, I used two different cameras, one for you and then one for the actual recording. So the one for I you, I don't care about at all. So <laughs> I understand, but from my point of view, it looked yeah. like you were sinking. This is the special only you cam. You get the behind the scenes right. look. I was entertaining. Oh, and AP News. This is from, uh, let's see what reporter filed this one. Uh, Lisa Radke and John McChillo. McChillo? McChillo. Heavy rain has washed our roads, forced evacuations, and killed at least one person in New York. Nine inches of rain flooded the village of Highland Falls. And in Vermont, rescue teams raced into Vermont on Monday after heavy rain drenched parts of the Northeast. Washing out roads, forcing evacuations, halting some airline travel. One person was killed in New York's Hudson Valley as she tried to escape her flooded home. Mike Cannon. A Vermont Urban Search and Rescue said crews, excuse me, from North Carolina 
Michigan and Connecticut were among those helping get towns that have been unreachable since torrents of rain belted the state. The towns of Londonderry and Weston are unaccessible, Cannon said, and rescuers were heading home, heading there to do welfare checks. Water levels at several dams were being closely monitored. The U.S. Army Corps of Engineers said late Monday they expected two dams to release water overnight, causing severe flooding downstream, likely to affect multiple towns. Flooding hit Vermont State Capitol with Montpelier Town Manager Bill Frazier estimating Monday night that knee-high waters had reached much of the downtown and were expected to rise a couple more feet during the night. Montpelier had largely been spared during Tropical Storm Irene, which struck the region in 2011. For us, this is far worse than Irene. We got water, but it went up and down. There were some basements flooded, but it didn't last long, Frazier said. Comparing this flood to the Montpelier ice jams of 1992, we were completely inundated. The water is way, way higher than it ever got during Irene. During Irene, Vermont got 11 inches, or 28 centimeters, of rain in 24 hours. Irene killed six in the state, washed homes off their foundations, damaged or destroyed more than 200 bridges and 500 miles of highway. There have been no reports from injuries of death related to the latest flooding in Vermont, according to the state of emergency officials. Roads were closed across the state, including many along the spine of the Green Mountains. Some people canoed their way to the Cavendish Baptist Church in Vermont, which had turned into a shelter. About 23 people about 30 people waited out, some of them making cookies for firefighters who were working to evacuate and rescue others. People are doing okay, it's just stressful, shelter volunteer Amanda Gross said. Vermont Rep Kelly Pajala said she was about half, she had about half a dozen others had to evacuate early Monday from a four-unit apartment building on West River in Londonderry. The river was our doorstep, said Pajala. We threw some dry clothes and our cats into the car and drove to a higher ground. The slow-moving storm moved, reached New England in the, move, in the morning after hitting parts of New York and Connecticut on Sunday. Additionally, downpours of the region raised the potential flash flooding. Rainfall in certain parts of Vermont exceeded seven inches, the National Weather Service in Burlington said. The Weston Theatre Company Executive Artistic Director Susanna Gellert said the call was made around 4 a.m. to evacuate 11 people associated with the reduction to higher ground and another 15 to nearby Ludlow. Three floor playhouse, which had been damaged during the Irene, was also flooded in the dressing room and the props under water. As a theater, we were just starting to get back from COVID shutdown. To have this happen right now is painfully heartbreaking. Kara Philbin, 37, of Ludlow, Vermont, was awakened by a neighbor early Monday and told to clear out of her second floor apartment because the parking lot was already flooded. He told me, you need to get out of here. Your car is going to float away and suggested, and suggested you not do not stay. The neighbor took her car keys and moved her car to a higher spot while she called her parents and then drove, their, drove to their home to ride up the storm. Ross Andrews, Ross Andrews and his wife were driving back from Calais, Vermont, or as they say, Calais, Vermont, on the way on Monday when he saw trucks parked at a tour and three parked at parked at a 230-year-old dam with crews trying to keep it from falling. 
There were trees down everywhere. The interstate was closed right at our exit. Our road was closed right at our driveway. We managed to thread our way back just in the nick of time. Okay, so that's the story from Vermont, underwater, under muddy, muddy, muddy torrents of water. Your story. Yeah, well, that global heating is definitely heating stuff up. Yeah, we get some real freaky weather. Get used to it. Get ready to deal with stuff. I'm waiting for tornadoes to start striking in places they shouldn't be because the... Oh, the yeah. temperature's so warm, why right? The air currents will be so warm in places that's usually cold. And then right. a tornado will form. I'm waiting for oh. that to happen. I've never oh. seen a tornado in my life, and today one happened, and we don't have houses built with cellars in them. <laughs> uh oh. be followed, right? That'll yeah. be followed soon by the Sharknado. Exactly. That was exactly. Speaking uh, of global warming revenge. and climate change. The EU is to drop the ban of hazardous chemicals because of industry pressure. This is from Arthur Nelson on The Guardian. The European Commission is poised to break a promise to outlaw all but the most essential of Europe's hazardous chemicals leaked in documents today. The pledge to ban the most harmful chemicals in consumer products, allowing their use only where essential, was a flagship component of the European Green Deal when it was launched in 2020. It was expected that between 7,000 and 12,000 hazardous substances would be prohibited from use in all saleable projects, products in an update to the EU's REACH regulation, including many f- forever chemicals or per a polyfluoroalkali substances, PFAS, which accumulate in nature in human bodies and have been linked to various hormonal, reproductive, and carcinogenic illnesses because they're not easily gotten rid of so they just collect and collect and collect and then your whole body's full of them but the guardian has learned that the eu's executives is on the brink of climb down under heavy pressure from europe's chemical industry and right-wing political parties like can these guys try to win one thing like be on the the right side of one thing like right wing should not mean evil but at this point it's starting to become synonymous with evil, right? Oh, you want to save the planet, huh? Well, I'm right wing, and we can't let that happen. Like, come on, guys. Yeah. Who but the economy. The economy won't exist if there's nobody alive to live you in it. You do-gooders, um, you. Yeah. You're the the industry-led backlash is causing internal disquiet over the threat to public health and policy making. One EU official said, We are being pushed to be less strict on industry all the time. A leaked legislative document seen by The Guardian proposes three options that would restrict 1%, 10%, or 50% of products containing hazardous chemicals currently on the market. The EU typically selects the middle option. Now they're going to select the 50% just to, like, fuck you guys. <laughs> We're going 50. No, they're not going to do that. Tatania Santos, the head of the Chemical Policy at the European Environmental Bureau, says... The EU's failure to control harmful chemicals is written in the contaminated blood of almost all Europeans. Every delay brings more suffering, sickness, and even early deaths. The EU's regulatory retreat could be the nail in the coffin of the European Green Deal, fueling cynicism about the untrusty elites doing deals with big toxic lobbies until the Commission makes a good on its promise to detox products and stand up to polluters. 
The leaked 77-page impact study formed part of the revision of targets in the EU's REACH regulation covering chemicals laws, which is dated the 13th January 2023, and due to be launched by the end of the year, the text could be altered, but officials say the options under consideration have not substantially changed. The draft ana analysis estimates the health savings from chemical bans would outweigh costs to the industries by a factor of 10. Reduced payments for treating illness such as cancer and obesity would amount to $11 billion to $31 billion in savings a year, while adjustment costs of businesses would be a range of $0.9 or $2.7 billion a year. Oh my god, these freaking... I can't lose almost a billion. What will I do without that extra billion? As well as PFAS, EU regulators found that 70% of European children we're at risk from combined exposure to mixtures of phthalates linked to development and reproductive illness in a survey of 13,000 EU citizens, blood and urine last year. Traces of the reproductive endocrine disruptor bifesinol A were found in 92% of adults. Oh no. The study coordinator, Dr. Marik Kolasa Genhig, said that more than 34 million tons of carcinogenic, mutagenic, and reprotoxic substances were consumed in Europe in 2020. So people are getting cancer, people are getting mutations, and people are not being able to reproduce. Maybe that's the real, call, real, real cause of lower uh, birth rates, is uh, we're all right. poisoned to not have children. Okay. Oh, yeah. That's how you convince companies to stop doing something say if you if you don't stop you won't have any workers they're like oh no not workers we need those to make money ah okay uh, well, may stop. maybe that, maybe that'll work probably <laughs> you have to say wait a minute this quarter's profits will be affected that'll be about it that's as far as they think ahead this quarter not even, yeah right not even this year just the end of whatever september but the REACH update was delayed after a split between two commission departments oh. tasking with drafting the new law, the Environmental Directorate, which pushed for robust measures, and the Internal Market Directorate, which resisted. An EU official speaking on condition of anonymity said efforts to dilute the legal revision were helped by a complete change in the way of support for consumers and the environment in Brussels. As MEPs in the EU, Ursula von der Leyen's Europeans People Party EPP became queasy about environmental reform. The official said, The feeling in the commission is almost like it's given that we cannot create too much trouble for the industry, irrespective of public health benefits, and that companies suffer a lot from our regulations on chemicals, so we should try to make it easier on them. The companies are suffering. Oh no. Oh, it's like the companies are people freaking bullshit that happened in the US. Ready? Germany's VCI industry associated had association had called for a postponement of the chemicals ban as far as March 2022. The VCI director Wolfgang Gross Intrup said last month that a related proposal to ban forever chemicals would have fatal effects for German industry. With each and every one of these substances that is banned in the EU, the risk of further immigration of our industry to less strict regulation regions increases, he said. Last year, the VCI gave the EPP's Christian Democratic Union and Christian Social Union parties in Germany more than 150,000 euros. 
A ban on chemicals based on precision targets will make little sense, as hazard profile applications and thus the potential risks of substances vary widely. 11 PFAS industry players in Germany employed 94 lobbyists and spent a combined of 9 million in the most recent annual data, data, according to analysis by Corporate Europe Observatory, due out later this week. In Brussels, 12 members of the PFAS industry have 72 individual lobbyists active in an annual spend between 18.6 million and 21.1 million, the paper says. One significant lobby battle focuses on new environment for polymers, the building blocks for plastics. In the REACH reform, the EU said, The current situations resemble a regulatory capture by incumbents to stifle a growing alternative chemical industry, they added. The REACH reform was initially a commission priority. The commission's first vice president, Franz Timmermans, said in 2020, It is especially important to stop using the most harmful chemicals in consumer products, from toys and childcare products to textiles and materials that come in contact with our food. The European Commission has been contacted for comment, but has not replied. So, yep, plastics, dangerous chemicals are continuing, and who knows what will happen about it. Your story. PFAS. PFAS. You're never going to stop hearing about those. Filter your drinking water. Your tap water, don't drink it. Even, eh, it's probably good for you. Nope. You got to filter them PFASs out. That doesn't, it doesn't matter where you live. Filter your water. All right, and Good Twos News Day. And we almost forgot it was Good Twos News Day, but I remembered. 24 million miles ahead of Tesla. This is from the Good News Network, fittingly, by Andy Corbley of the Good News Network. China's leading developer of autonomous driving technologies for heavy-duty trucks today announced it has powered more than 28 24.8 million miles of accident-free trucking on China's highways. Tesla has been promising shareholders full autonomous driving for its cars for years, but setbacks have been frequent. Founded by a Chinese engineer who studied in Australia to to say that the Inceptio autonomous driving system is miles ahead of America's tech billionaire is a bit of an understatement. But... Uh, we need to stop talking about uh, Elon Musk like he's American. He's South African. I don't know why they act like he's American. Weird. The latest milestone underlies the safety and reliability of Inceptio's full-stack autonomous driving solution, as well as accelerating commercial uptake. Inceptio's L3 autonomous trucks have been commercial operations since 2021. Working closely with two of China's long-haul companies, Dong Feng commercial vehicle and Sin Truck Inceptio has shipped hundreds of mass-produced heavy-duty trucks designed from ground up for full integration with the Inceptio autonomous driving system. Major customers including Budweiser, Nestle, JD Logistics, and Depon Express have developed Inceptio trucks across a nationwide line haul logistics network in China. We are incredibly proud of our stellar performance record that Inceptio Trucks have amassed over the past two years, said Julian Ma, founder and CEO of the Inceptio Technology. Across 40 million kilometers commercial operations, our Inceptio Autonomous Driving System has achieved a highly satisfactory on-time arrival rate for our customers with a perfect safety record. 
the Inceptio R&D team and the autonomous driving system itself are learning a tremendous amount from our fast-growing trove of operational data. In America, the conversation of how much automation should occur on the roads is often centered around the 4 million or so people who work as long-haul truckers. However, semi-trucks and tractor-trailers are massive vehicles and are regularly involved in collisions. In 2019, the Federal Motor Carrier Safety Administration reported Federal Motor Carrier Safety Administration, I've never heard it now. 5,505 fatal and 1,900 injurious and 419 non-injurious traffic collisions involving large trucks and buses in the U.S. The buses accounted for a significantly smaller fraction of these totals. Anyone who has driven long enough on the highway will experience their fright when a semi-truck begins to enter the lane not having seen them. This is a result of human error, which should be expected with such a demanding job as driving such a heavy and dangerous vehicle, sometimes a dozen hours or more on a day at high speeds. Innovation invariably leads to disruption of the market. For example, in order to advance the productivity of a single worker, entrepreneurs and business leaders had to replace not just typewriters, but typewriter factories as well as professional typists. It's thought that automation reduces the value of human workers, but the economics profession has never found this to be true. Contrary to instincts, the workers on an assembly line that is 80% automated can now produce 80% more downstream output than they could without automation, increasing their productivity value by a similar amount. If, if by digging a trench for a sewage line, a swarm of workers use shovel, each worker can produce very little and is therefore worth, worth very little. But if just a few of the backhoe and a bulldozer, three men could do what would have required 200 before. Of course, there is a point where that does, the balance changes, right? If you just got one person doing the job of 5,000 people, nobody has a job. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I'm just saying, nobody has a job. What are we doing? Oh, we're here to service the machines. Oh, that's it? That's all? Okay. Automated trucking would significantly reduce the cost of goods related to transport. Automated trucks can drive all night without suffering from white line hypnosis or fatigue. And the Septio's algorithms optimize fuel consumption, reducing use by as much as 7% compared to human drivers, meaning they help reduce the industry impact on climate as well as cost related to fuel. That's the story. And again, they're absolutely right. It's really hard for these long haul trucker companies to keep people employed. Road for an entire year, they missed their families. And but in this country, we're so afraid of autonomous driving vehicles that we ignore the fact that our human driving vehicles are completely unsafe. Yeah. Your story. <laughs> also depends on how you build your infrastructure. So. That's true. We just China put the roads not in a place where people can get hit by so. them. Automa automated driving would be fine, but the fact that we have roads everywhere that can hit people. You know, it's going to be dangerous because they can just run you over and not care. Well, China's saving a lot of money on trucking by not paying drivers. Yeah. Yep. Yep. Okay. I think last week or the week before, we talked about how one Finnish minister had resigned for racist comments. And another far-right minister has been found doing the same thing online. This is an article from John Henley. 
the Europe editor. Finland's new right-wing government has been plunged into fresh controversy after the discovery of racist and sometimes violent blog post comments apparently written by far-right Finns party leader and finance minister Rika Pira. Far-right people are racist? No way! Pira, who's a nationalist and the immigration party, finished second in April's election and holds nine cabinet posts, has neither confirmed nor denied writing the posts which date mostly to 2008, and she said she's had no intention of resigning. The comments made under the username Rika, so literally her name, on the blog of Pyrrha's predecessor as Finn's party leader, Juicy Halaao, included uses of the Finnish equivalent of the N-word, other racial and anti-immigrant slurs, and threats of violence. The comments made under the username Rika on the blog of Pyrrha's predecessor, wait, sorry, rereading the same paragraph. Last month, another Finn party minister, Wilhelm Junila, resigned after revelations that he had made jokes about Heil Hitler given at a speech event tended by neo-Nazis and called for mass abortions in Africa to combat the climate crisis. A third, Mari Rantanenen, oh, I didn't know about the third, the interior minister who is charged in Finland's intelligence services, has had to deny that she believed in the extremist Great Replacement Theory after it emerged that she had hashtagged it in several tweets. One 2008 Rika comment talked of N-words selling pirated Vuittons in Barcelona, which Pura, then a researcher at the University of Turku, was visiting at the time for an academic conference. Another described the sound darker males make when they pass you by as not whistling, that would be too obvious, but a, a hiss between the teeth. They're more eager than Abdullah is. The more saliva comes with it. Uh, what a weird thing to hyperfixate on. In another post, the commenter wrote, Anyone feel like spitting on beggars and beating N-words? Children today in Helsinki? Wow, let's beat up some children. Great. A post on January 2008 read, I'm so full of hate and pure rage. That's obvious. What are you doing to my psyche, Islam? In September 2008, Rika wrote about a confrontation on a suburban train with a group of young immigrants. If they gave me a gun, there'd be bodies on a commuter train. You'll see. Finnish media have matched Pierre's movements and biographical details to the post. The Finn leader was has acknowledged commenting on the blog hosted by Halo Aho, who was convicted in 2012 in inciting hatred against an ethnic group and other forums under different usernames but has not confirmed she was Rika. We're talking about 2008. In other words, almost 10 years before I even got involved in the politics. Pira wrote in a blog post on Monday, which means that now that she's a politician, she pretends she doesn't have those beliefs so she can get votes. <laughs> or she pretends she vehemently believes those things to get votes. Depends on who you are. Being a politician doesn't suddenly make you a better person. It makes you a worse person, I would argue. <laughs> so, um... I'm sure there will be more, or thousands of my writings can be found on the internet. It's fun for archaeologists. Well, it's not archaeology, it's history. Archaeology <laughs> is we don't know what happened, but we're going to make theories. History is we physically can see what has occurred. Archaeologists are dusting off bones one at a time. Yeah, they explicitly. The difference between history and archaeology is archaeologists don't really know what happened, they can only an idea. That's it. History is like, we have the evidence right here. We know you said these things. 
She said she had no felt she had she felt no need to apologize or resign, tweeting that she did not accept and never have accepted violence, and that my angry text was just an angry text. I felt angry and helpless. She said she no longer agreed with much of what she wrote and had expressed myself in ways that I take would not accept because then she would lose a lot of voting. So she has to be she's a politician now. <laughs> I don't think it's because she thinks she was wrong. I think it's because she's a politician. She knows that's bad optics. That's my opinion anyways. Yep. It's me. Opposition politicians have been quick to condemn the post, attributing them to Pira. The finance minister has not only racist, but also violent content on the same platform. The former interior minister, Maria Ohisalo, said, No regrets, no resignation. The prime minister, Petiri Orbo of the right-wing National Coalition Party, NCP, said on Tuesday it was important that Pira had rejected violence in her tweet on Monday night, and he did not accept racism in any form. So, basically one person was saying, since she doesn't feel so... If she's not going to resign, that means she doesn't feel sorry about it. She doesn't regret doing yeah. it. So that's, you know, that's what she really means. What yeah, I said race? those things. It was long ago, and I don't regret it. But I'm not that person today. Okay, we guess we'll have to believe you until you start, I guess, throwing uh, I don't believe her, N-words so. into the freaking <laughs> furnaces because you don't like them. I don't believe her, so. I don't believe I don't her vote. Either. I don't vote in Finland or, or whatever, but... Uh, Whatever they do is choose leaders. I don't know. They short a straw or whatever. They probably just or, they're, they're a democracy. They so they vote people in. Yes. Whoever gets off the bus last is his leader. You know, whatever. That guy, that lady with the hat, she's the president. That should be their method. You're right. Politicians ruin. They ruin government. They completely ruin government. They're fucking lies. They lie and then they get in the office and they go, well, I'm not really that way. When everybody goes, yeah, you really are that way. And there's a yeah. problem with you supremacists out there. The very act of thinking you're, su- you're a supreme person makes you inferior because you're incapable of reason. Yeah. All right. <laughs> That's the end of my story. All right. My story. I'm, I'm superior. Oh, yeah. In what way? You can fly. Oh, you can't fly, so you're not superior. Shut the fuck up. Alright. <laughs> Alright. Silence is golden. This is from New York Times, which is still a paper for some for some reason. They fired the entire sporting department, by the way. Oh, everybody. Like all the sports writers. Go home. Don't come back. Yep. LA Times did too. Silence is the sound of you here. This is totally unrelated to sports, by the way. It's New York Times, Brittany Brookshire. I'm sorry, Bethany Brookshire. The hush at the end of a musical performance, the pause at a dramatic speech, the muted moment when you turn off the car. What is it we hear when we hear nothing at all? Are we detecting silence? Are we just hearing nothing and interpreting that absence as silence? I never thought about that until now. The sound of silence is a philosophical question that made for one of Simon Garfunkel's most enduring songs, but is also a subject that can be tested by psychologists. In a paper published Monday in the Proceedings of National Academy of Sciences, researchers used a series of sonic illusions to show that people perceive silence as much as they hear sounds. While the study offers no insight in how our brains might be processing silence 
Yeah. Say a lot of S's. The results suggest that people perceive silence as its own type of sound, not just as a gap between noises. Reezy Gu, a graduate, a graduate student in cognitive science and philosophy at Johns Hopkins University, and one of the scientists involved in the studies, described a, a cone that he likes. Silence is the experience of time passing, he said. He interprets that to mean that silence is the auditory experience of pure time. Oh boy, time doesn't exist, dude. The idea made him wonder whether silence, the absence of sound, was something that we really experience, or is silence just a kind of lack of experience? Ooh, philosophical as hell there. Chaz Firestone, a cognitive scientist at Johns Hopkins, other author of the study, said if the silence is not really a sound, yet it turns out that we can hear it, then evidently hearing is about more than just sounds. But simply asking, can you perceive silence is difficult questions. So the two researchers, with Ian Phillips, a philosopher, asked a different question. Does the mind treat silence the same way it treats sounds? The researchers tested people recruited with a series of sound illusions. The first test compared a single longer sound with two shorter sounds. The two shorter sounds together added up to the same amount of time as the longer sound. But when people listened to them, they perceived the single sound as lasting longer. To apply that illusion to silence, Mr. Go and colleagues inverted the test. The scientists used sounds of restaurants, busy marketplaces, trains, or playgrounds and inserted chunks of silence for participants, participants to compare. The researchers supposed that if people perceive silences as their own type of sound, then silences should be subject to the same illusions as sounds. One long silence should be received as longer than the total of two short silences. But if people perceive silence as a lack of sound, the illusion might not exist. Other tests place silence in different contexts to produce more sonic illusions. In every case they tested, the perceived illusion and perceived the perceived illusion of a period of silence being longer, just as they would have perceived illusion of a longer sound. Did you understand that, that sentence? I'm not sure I did. The listeners perceived the illusion of period of silence being longer, just as they would have perceived the illusion of longer sound. Okay. When I heard the, it the first time, I was like, wow, it works, Mr. Go said. Even though he made the test himself, he knew the periods of silence were exactly the same length. He still experienced illusion that one silence was longer than the two. Dr. Firestone said the illusions were just as powerful as the silences as they were with the sounds. It's not even like, oh, it kind of works with silences, but it's just a lot of weaker. Nope, you get the same effect. In other words, people react to silences the same way they act to sounds, even though they aren't hearing anything at all. It would be easy to reject the idea that silence has a sound, said Sammy Youssef, a cognitive scientist at the University of Pennsylvania who was not involved in a study. Sounds are waves impacting the cells in your ears, silence is not, but that doesn't mean we can't detect the silence. The study, Youssef says that those blank spaces are always kind of event, they're always kind of unit that represents our experience. We also appreciate how the researchers used illus illusions tweaked for silence instead of sound. 
It's very clever the way it uses sort of known phenomena and applies it to the silences instead. Although the researchers did not study how people's brains responded to silence, Mr. Gold suggested the existing research supported the idea that some neurons and neural processes were involved in the perception of silence. And knowing that we do perceive silence makes it that much louder. <laughs> Which is a weird way to say silence is louder. Silence is a real experience. Maybe, Mr. Gross said, and maybe we'll all pay more attention to the moment of quiet when we, quiet once we know we can hear the sounds of silence. And again, that's the story. Well, I can definitely agree with this because, for example, after taking a shower, right, yeah. all that water going down in your head, and then like the whole house is quiet, and I'm just sitting in my room. Yeah. And it's like of silence, right? It's yeah. it's like it feels like my head's being crushed by silence. So I experience it's... hearing silence a lot, and I don't like it. And that's why I like playing music at all times of the day. <laughs> well, what we hear is probably electronic noise anyway, because there's yeah. always something running, something the refrigerator running, the refrigerator running, man. That's a noise. But again, well. And the thing about sounds of silence is, if you listen to a song and it's playing, and there's a there's a break like between, you know, changes yes. in tempo. That silence is like the one of the most powerful things in the song. It really. Yeah, a hundred percent. I love that yeah. part where they're just that like, little da, transition. Yeah. Da, da, da. Yeah, I love it. Yeah. Yep. All right, you right. started. For some more music lovers out here, Gorilla Star bangs drum for music lessons on London estates. This is from Robert Booth, social affairs correspondent on The Guardian. A glorious cacophony of brass filled the South London Community Hall one afternoon last week. At one end of the semicircle of young musicians sat Emmanuel Eight, tooting on a donated silver trumpet, his first instrument. On a tuba at the other end was Tegan Hastings, 17, who was the same age as Emmanuel when he started coming to this community music project. Last month, he played in front of 35,000 people at Glastonbury. The session on the gang-affected Tulsa Hill Estate was run by Kin Kinetika Blocko, a music charity fighting back against the decline of music teaching in schools. Its leader believed that learning to play and create music can improve lives in Britain's deprived communities. Yeah, I mean, music is one of the, blo like, the bloods of life, really. It's one of the expressions, dance, music, art, or I guess painting and stuff like that. You can't really live if you're not expressing yourself to these mediums, I say, as an artist. <laughs> Completely biased opinion. Um, pathway from Emmanuel's novice notes to Tegan's fledgling professional career maps are route to change, they say. But figures reveal the number of children taking music GCSEs, which are like high school graduation exams, where you specifically do one subject and you want to get like a I'm explaining the British school system here, but the GCSE is like, I want to specifically be almost like when they look at my grid and say, wow, this person took a test specifically for music, right? They train specifically in music. So it's a bit, it's a way to more cater your, your education towards your resume in a way, right? So you don't have to take a GCSE for math if you're not going into a career that needs math. Right? So you just don't ever take that GCSE. But some people will take it just to look good. Wow, they got a freaking high score on that math GCSE even though they're a politician, you know, something like that. 
But anyways, enough explaining what how the British education system works. <laughs> but there's only 30,000 people sitting in for the music GCSE every year, down to almost half from 15 years ago. It is less than the number of sitting GCSEs for PE and food prep preparation and nutrition, which kind of makes sense because that food preparation nutrition is probably the most populous <laughs> you know, right. wage job there is right now. I'm gonna go work at McDonald's, you know, or I'm gonna go work in a restaurant. Yeah. The service industry is the high, the biggest industry. Meanwhile, two thirds of the teachers working in acad academies and free schools where the annual music budget sometimes around less than one year pound a year for each pupil, don't believe they have enough money to teach music sufficiently, according to a recent survey of 500 music teachers by Incorporated Society of Musicians. It alleged neglect and marginalization of music in schools and a shocking picture of inequality. Now, one of Kinitika's Bloco's most successful out alumni, Femi Colioso, is demanding a change. The leader of the jazz quintet Ezra Collective, who also plays drums in Damon Albarn's Gorillas, do, 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 feels good. I don't know if he plays it in that song. He could be, though. Broke off from his band's Glastonbury show to tell the crowd, it's all well and good complaining about the youth of today, but let me tell you what actually works. Putting a trumpet in their hands. It is a message that is gathering pace. The composer Android Lloyd Webber last month called for every secondary school pupil to have a right to learn a classical musical instrument. Complaining 85% of private schools have an orchestra, but only 12% of the state schools do. Is funding lesson through a trust and said, We have evidence of children who have said they could have gone into a drug gang, but just enjoy playing music too much. <laughs> Drugs? Playing the trumpet. Uh, trumpet it is. Um, speaking to Guardian Colioso28, described the decline in music teaching as heartbreaking and called for every child in the country to have access to learn an instrument, not just classical. We have such a rich history of music in the country and see it as being defunded and pain and defunded is painful, he said, citing The Clash, The Beatles, Blur, and Skepta, who all learned their music in school. Uh, he argued music has the power to transcend educational qualities that have become entrenched over generation. Musical music also brings joys in ways other parts of the curriculum don't, he said. I wasn't jumping for joy for my physics lesson. If I didn't have music, I could see my life being a lot different. Hanging out with people who are influential but not in the right way, he said. Playing and learning music has been shown to improve literacy, focus, and memory, according to a 2022 book, The Power of Music and Exploration of Evidence. The author found evidence musicians score higher in terms of creativity and openness and progress better in academic study. Studying music at school has the ability to arrest declines in self-esteem, and playing music in group encourages pro-social behavior, including empathy, teamwork, and reducing prejudice. Last year, the government published a national plan to level up musical opportunities for all children regardless of circumstances, needs, or geography. Chris Walters, the national organizer, organizer for Education in Musicians Union, said the plan was a fantastic description of what music ed education could be, but is non-statutory. Schools are just expected to do it on their existing budgets, and the music hubs have 80, 80 million pounds a year, which works out at six pounds per pupil. It's a lovely plan, but they haven't put any clout behind it. 
He said it was also undermined by other educational plans and policies pushing school towards more teaching core subjects. I think music should be a core subject. I genuinely do. Yeah. A spokesperson but, for Department of Education said around 8% of key stage 4 pupils in the state schools take music GCSE and technical award, including grades 6 and above. To encourage more young people to take up music, we're investing $79 million per year in funding for the Music Hubs program to 2025, and then published a national plan for music education to ensure every young person has access to a high-quality music education. In addition, our music progression fund supports the most disadvantaged pupils with significant musical potential, enthusiasm, and commitment. There you go. So, yep, and, well, just a little history. It, people don't realize that if it wasn't for British um, art schools, that rock and yeah. roll would have died. It would have died because there would have been no Beatles, there would have been no Pink Floyd, there would have been no Led Zeppelin. None of these guys would have gone to British art schools. They would have been stuck in some dead-end job at a factory somewhere. Yeah, woodworking right? or something. Yeah, and now rock and roll would have died in 1963. <laughs> <laughs> right? It would have been yeah. done. Be, we'd be listening to freaking, you know, whatever. I don't know what they would have been listening to, but it wouldn't have been... Uh, there would have been a bunch of British musicians reinterpreting American rock and roll because black music was not played in American white radio yeah. stations, but it was played in England, and they took American rock and roll and took it to a new level. And that's just history. And anyway. the other thing is, I'm lucky that the school I went to required every single student to take one art-based elective. So it could have been art class, it could have been chorus, band, any of those things, right? You were required to graduate to take one. And of course, once you're forced to take it, you might find out you actually like it. And then you stay there, even though it's not statutory anymore. You'll continue taking the class because you're like, boy, I love my trumpet or I love my, for me, my clarinet, which is back there. I'll bring it at the end of the show. But uh, yeah, I don't even play years. my clarinet anymore. I play it once a month to keep the wood fresh. But it's, I'm happy that it's always there. And I'll, I can always yeah. pick it up twirl my fingers and it's because I was taught for eight years in public school in the U.S. Public, right? In a hundred years, when we're all masters to our robot overlords and our, you know, machines are telling us what to do, this is going to be a time capsule of what? It's still not too late. Learn a musical instrument, right? You're human. Humans are actually pretty good compared to machines. Machines don't give a fuck about you. Really, they have no emotions whatsoever. They'll kill you as coldly as they'll flick the next second on the clock, right? Humans are actually pretty good. Anyway, I'll put in a good I'll put in a good word for humans today. All right. Even though we're not the best truck drivers. Okay. <laughs> this day in history. In 1302, the Battle of Golden Spurs, an, un, an untrained Flemish infantry militia defeated a professional force of French and patrician Flemish cavalry, thus halting the growth of France, French control over Belgium. That was 13, oh, what? 700 years ago, 711 years ago. And this date in 1798, the US Marine Corps established in 1775 was formally reestablished. Okay. In 1863, angered by unfair practices in Civil War conscription, New York City workers rioted and attacked draft headquarters in the race riots of the Civil War. 
1914, Babe Ruth played his first Major League Baseball game for the Boston Red Sox. In 1916, Australian politician Gaw Whitlam, who served as his country's prime minister from 72 to 75 when he was dismissed as governor general, he was born this day in Kew, Victoria. Okay. In 1936, the Triborough Bridge, designed by David Barnum Steinman, opened in New York City. It was later renamed the Robert F. Kennedy Bridge, but I think everybody still calls it the Triborough Bridge. 1953, Leon Spinks, uh, boxer Leon Spinks, who, like his brother Michael, won a world boxing title and gold medals, was born in St. Louis, Missouri. He also defeated Muhammad Ali. Surprisingly, the U.S. Air Force Academy officially opened at temporary headquarters at Lowry Air Force Base in Denver, Colorado. So, the U.S. Air Force Academy was born, opened in 1955. 1960, American author Harper Lee, Harper Lee's To Kill a Mockingbird, was published and became a classic. In 1989, British actor Lawrence Olivier died near London. In 2007, American First Lady, former First Lady, Lady Bird Johnson, wife of Lyndon Baines Johnson, died in Texas. In 2015, Mexican criminal Joaquin Guzman, who is head of the Sinaloa drug cartel, escaped from prison. El Chapo. We're talking El Chapo. I don't know why they just didn't call him that. Escaped from prison, using a lengthy underground tunnel, massive man at fault. You know what? They didn't put his name in this article, and I knew it was El Chapo, right? Isn't that stupid? Why didn't they just say El Chapo? Duel between our, and then this day, Alexander Hamilton was shot in a duel in Weehawken, New Jersey by Aaron Burr. Birthdays today, Robert the Bruce. Happy birthday to Robert the Bruce. Our ancestor was born this day, July 11th, 1274. And other birthdays today, Jhumpa Lahiri was born in 1967, American author. Giorgio Armani, a founder of the Italian fashion uh, company, born in 1934. Yul Brenner, Russian-born actor, was born in 1920. Rudolf Abel, Soviet spy, was born in 1903, and President John Quincy Adams, the sixth president of the United States, was born in this day in 1767. As we're rapidly running out of time, what day is it? It is, oh my, there's a lot of days. It's National 7-Eleven Day. Remember, it's 7-Eleven, go get your free, I think it's a free Slurpee, or a free Big Gulp. Anyway, there's gonna be lines at the 7-Eleven today. It's World Population Day today, July 11th, which means you can observe overpopulation by just simply going to the 7-Eleven. National Rainier Cherry Day. Rainier cherries. They're kind of whitish, orangish things. National Mojito Day. Man, I can really enjoy this day. National Blueberry Muffin Day. Hello, hello. Guess where I'm Hell going yeah. after this. National Cheer Up the Lonely Day. Oh man, nothing cheers up with a lonely like some mojitos and some blueberry muffins and some cherries. And it's All American Pet Photo Day. Wow, 
This is a jam-packed, event-filled day. If you really want to live it up, it's Cow Appreciation Day. Now, who doesn't appreciate cows? I can actually go do that. I can actually go down the street. Oh, yeah. calves and say, I appreciate you. And, and if I can't you have a wait pet for cow, you to be in my meal because they're probably veal cows, so they get sold within a year. <laughs> oh, that's sad. But if you have a pet cow, you can take a photo with it and kill two, oh, two cows with one stone, I guess. <laughs> Word benz, benzoprene awareness day. It sounds like cancer or something that caused cancer. Benzodiazepine. Do you know what that is? Nope. I'm not a doctor. The one word we're going to look up, but that's the last one. The World Benzo Day. Dependence on pre- prescription benzos. Oh. Uh, drugs adverse effects. Uh, class of drugs that tranquilizers are commonly used to treat anxiety. So. Okay, so. Not right. You either have anxiety, anxiety, you know what they are. What's yeah. that? Not cancer, but anxiety. Yeah, it's it's just a drug that's given to people for their anxiety. That's it. Okay. Well, this has been Allison here with my clarinet, reminding you <laughs> to go pick up an instrument, even a guitar, a ukulele, whatever you do, go learn some music. And I'm gonna clap eat your a hands in time. Just clap yeah. your hands in time. Music. You can also just sing the voice yeah. of the instrument as well. And nobody cares if you sing good or bad because it's all about you and how you feel, not how you sound. You're not going on stage. You're just trying to free your soul. And if you're, and if you're singing in the car and people look at you, sing louder. Exactly. Yeah. So we'll see you tomorrow on Wednesday for the halfway through the week. All right. This is Roger on a Tuesday saying good day to you from the United States on July 11th, 2023 edition of Before Coffee. Be sure to hit the like, subscribe, and notify buttons and follow our other channels, Toxic Alley, History of Gravy, and Scratchy Old Records.